Welcome to the Slow Road to Better. In this podcast, you'll hear from members of the Stroke Comeback Center in Vienna, Virginia. The members of the show wanted a way to build a bridge of hope and encouragement for other stroke and brain injury survivors with aphasia. By sharing their personal triumphs and failures, they hope to motivate others to never give up. Let's listen in on the slow road to better. All right, so welcome back, everybody. We've had a week off, and everybody have a good break? Yes. Yes. In the episode where we talked about plateau, we ended on a discussion about what makes a good therapist, which is evidently not me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's mean, but funny. Well, you're the one who said it. I know. (laughs) Um, And... The concept of do therapists come into a situation when they're working with someone with preconceived judgments Mm -hmm. about where they think um, a person's progress or ultimate outcome may lie? And are therapists jaded in that do we, are us therapists maybe negative Nancy's? The percent of that it's we are different it's hard to calculate and based on the stroke survivors it's Joyce Chris Jerry me it's all the same so your point is that everyone's different so having a preconceived judgment is not fair judgment I hate the judgment it sucks (laughs) it sucks what if I said what if I use the word prognosis it's no it's different it's because it's outcomes it's not the same it's a it's a different process we are different it's hard to distinguish the prognosis Okay, so I'm going to stop you right there and let our listeners know that we're doing something a little different today because we thought it might be interesting to have a panel discussion. Yes. Um, and so we have two esteemed guests with us and today. <laughs> I don't count as a guest. I'm always well, that's here. True. You're stuck with me. Um, yeah. So our first guest is Darlene Williamson. She is the executive director of the Stroke Comeback Center. What I want Darlene to do is just tell us a little bit about who you are and how many years of experience you have, if you don't mind sharing that. Oh my gosh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I... I spent most of my years in working in acute care hospitals. I've also worked in rehab settings. I've worked home health. I've done long-term care. I was at George Washington University, so I've kind of seen it all. And, whoa, I started working first with uh, stroke survivors in 19... 
All right. So that's a lot of years. Someone has know. to do the math on that if right. you care to know exactly how many years 50, that is. Seven years. Yeah. I don't, I Lots don't know. of years. <laughs> You're making that yeah, up. Don't I add know. them up. <laughs> <sighs> All right. So, Darlene, thank you so much for being here. Our other panelist today is Brielle, and you heard her just a little bit on one of the previous episodes. Um, so Brielle is currently working um, as a student intern here at the Stroke Comeback Center. And so Brielle, tell us a little bit about who you are and your experience. So I'm on the other end of the scale from Darlene. Um, this is my second internship, so this is kind of my first real experience with maybe more than one stroke survivor. I kind of came to the field as my second career, um, complete 180 from finance where I was before, uh, because as the wife of a TBI survivor, um, I kind of was introduced to the field and knew that I needed to go in a different direction, so I came here because I wanted to actually help people. Awesome. That's awesome. All right, so I'm glad you're both here. I guess I am middle of the road just for um, numbers comparison. Let's see, I started practice 93, and pretty much my entire career has been working with adults so What's I have worked your settings it's I have worked um I started out in home health actually so I did home health and then I worked briefly at George Washington University Hospital and then I worked um, at the National Rehabilitation Hospital for the bulk of my career so I don't know 13 years or so and then I came here All right, and so another thing that's going to be different about this podcast is, one, we welcome back Joyce, who was on sabbatical in New York having fun. Yes. Are you glad to be back or no? Yes, yes. You are? Mm Mm-hmm. And you had a good time in New York? Yep. Okay. Amazing. Dancing. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, that sounds awesome. Yep. All right, we're glad you're back. Thank you. Um, And we are going to sort of turn over the reins of this discussion to Ashley, who is going to facilitate the conversation. Dr. Ashley, I think. Dr. Ashley, you're up. All right. I have questions for you, too. What experiences are you thinking about your uh, meeting new person. It's uh, I have uh, in mind uh, y- your experiences, but it's pop I- I- your head. It's thinking about the stroke patient. First. So are you asking the first time that you meet someone new who's yes. a stroke survivor? Yes. What is the clinician thinking? What's the therapist thinking? Yes. What's going through their mind? So I'd like to throw something down, and Brielle can confirm or deny. As I look back, when I first began doing this, I was a little deer in the headlights. So when you read the medical chart and see A, B, C, it was kind of like, oh, what am I going to see? And am I going to know what's the best thing to do? And so on. So... 
Brielle, if you tomorrow were to go into a hospital, look at a medical chart, where the stroke was, where they are, you think you'd feel a little deer in the headlights at first? Yeah, for sure. The only thing you know for sure is there's no such thing as a textbook case. So you can start from what you learned, but it's how much of it's going to apply to that individual is something else entirely. Oh, look, you're already Ashley's favorite panelist. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because no one pretty much ever looks like your textbook. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And really, over the course of time, you have to develop a comfort level with that, that... um, Everyone is an individual. Every presentation is different. No matter if you see two people back-to-back and their charts look identical, their aphasia does not look identical. Interesting. Hmm. It's, you know, it's uh, bringing a similar thing about uh, the doctors, What's your relationship to the doctors? I would say that by and large, my experience has been that I dealt primarily with physiatrists who have a specialty in rehabilitation. So for those doctors, I found that they were pretty good to work with, that they had good insight not all doctors are created equal just like not all therapists are created equal and some were better than others but i found for the most part that if the doctor had confidence in you then they relied on you to give them the information that they needed and they stayed out of your way Um, i would say i did not find that the doctors knew each individual person as well as each therapist knew each individual person because they spend so much more time together. And really the truth of the matter is if I wanted to know something specific about a person, I would ask the nursing assistant who was assigned to them because the nursing assistant knew that person better than anybody else because they were in there helping with meals and helping with bathing and helping with toileting. And so if I really needed to know something, that's who I went to. I confirm what you say in terms of where I think the field is maybe now with the medical field. 20 years before you started, Mm -hmm. there was definitely a food chain and the therapists were at the bottom (laughs) of the food chain and the doctors were up here. You never asked, you never questioned them. Well, you weren't supposed to. I did, but you weren't supposed to. Um, and, um, And I think Melissa, you're a little bit insulated because you, at National Rehab Hospital, you're at a nationally known, renowned place. I I don't know that that happens everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will add to that, and it relates to this whole topic of um, physicians, and I'm not speaking today because I'm not in a hospital today, but talking about the left MCA in room 12 or the Mm -hmm. right. It was not the person with this. It was they were referred to by their diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so being referred to by diagnosis impersonalizes it. Yeah. And, um, 
and it sets up an expectation of this diagnosis. Maybe it's a very um, complicated diagnosis. Therefore, the expectation out of that particular individual goes down, right? Mm-hmm. So we always talk in terms of there's no such thing as a mild stroke, but yeah. physicians would say, oh, that's a mild stroke in bed 210. Um, the expectation is different mm-hmm. when it's been a very significant event. Yeah. And that has always jarred me from day one. It's n- You're not... I don't want to be called by my diagnosis. I want to be called by my name. Yeah, good point. It's a, you're a person. It's in the bed. It's a cold feeling about dissociating the person. My doctors said six months. Um, uh, <laughs> I hate that. Oh. You should say that louder. Don't whisper it, Ashley. I hate that. It's um. it's a death sentence. I mean, it's Jerry is alive. Yeah. You know, thank goodness. Go, girl. Boy. <laughs> yeah, oops. That's all right. It's that whole aphasia thing. Right. All right. Exactly. It's, it's good. Um, right, because where you are now compared to where you were six months yeah. after your recovery is, or after your stroke is, completely different. Well, uh-huh. wheelchair or um, bed. Bed. And doesn't that play into level of expectation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. If somebody says, well, you have six months to get better. Probably um, not going to happen. The expectation is a whole lot different than um, you're going to just keep going on this slow road to better forever. What about you? Personal experience-wise, when my husband was discharged from the inpatient care we were told more like a year expect to see gains within a year the most being within six months they still had that but within a year and that's probably about it but 16 months post onset he was back at work so there was another he couldn't have gone back at 12 months but four months later he was able to go back to work so it's yeah I I have not personally held to that six-month idea, even if it's been brought up in class, because I've seen way too many examples otherwise. You still hear that in class? Not. Really? They they teach that? It's, <laughs> it's mentioned in text more like the um, <gasps> spontaneous recovery window, but they don't really teach beyond that so really so that's no all that happens. yeah okay. you, that's all you ever hear for you were you medically stable in six months i am gorked out by the drugs mm-hmm. i oh, don't yeah. know every it's who knows so i have a question activity do you do you say the first time you meet someone what an awesome question. That is an awesome question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, I think we should go in reverse order on this. I don't have any acute care experience, but 
I would think cognitive, like determining your level, where you are, like, can you be alert? Can you talk? Do you know who you are? Are you oriented? All these words. So just kind of... <laughs> yeah, do you know what's going on? Are you awake? Can you focus? Where is your memory? If I ask you one thing, are you going to remember that after I finish my next sentence? That probably kind of thing. not. <laughs> 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 Me either. I can't... I can't um, um, if I can't long time ago know nothing. Yeah. yeah. If someone had come into you and no. asked you that right off the bat? Mm-hmm. Nope. I think for me, introduce myself. Say, hi, my name is Melissa. What do you like to be called? And I tend to start off pretty social. I try to make sure that I'm seated and I'm eye level with someone. And I just kind of try to chit chat. I got a lot of information about someone just by looking at their room and sort of the state of the situation in their room. And then I just kind of sit down and talk to them and let them know who I am and why I'm there. And then really the first important thing would have to be I would look at somebody swallowing. I need to know if they're safe to eat or drink. I'm going to commend Brielle because maybe in a more comfortable way for me or a more experienced way. um, um, I'll also agree with Melissa to get down at the person's level so that you're talking to them and not standing up talking down over them. And the main thing I want to know is um, how are you? What's going on? How do you feel? Do you know what happened? And make sure they understand what my role is. Because when you're laying in the bed, you have ten different faces a day that come in and bing, 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 bing. Tell me your name. Who's the president? What's the date? And out they go. Um, Uh You know, being sure they understand I'm there to help. I'm there to listen. I'm there to get to know who you are and what you need. But I think it's really important what Melissa said to get down to their level um, physically and yeah. just so that you're communicating face-to-face. And, yeah, we won't go into swallowing. We're, we have to keep patient safety first, so we look at swallowing. But, um, but I... I agree with Brielle. I, I just want to know, do you understand what happened to you? And I'm here to hold your hand. Yeah. Oh, just get so out sweet. of this. <laughs> well, it's important to uh, eye contact. Yep. It's, I thought uh, caring with me, it's important. It's on the same page. And it's helpful to me the expression caring and compassionate so one of the topics that may not be caring and compassionate one of the things that therapists are often asked to do is to provide a prognosis or you know families come to us and say okay I understand that my daughter had a stroke when is she going to be all better? <laughs> right? I mean, that's the kind of questions therapists 
get asked, when is this going to go away? Yeah. And so what kind of answers do you give? And always important to never make a guarantee. Absolutely. And that's the first thing just that has to come out. We don't know, but here's what it can tell you. What your loved one looks like today is not what they're going to look like six weeks, six months, or six years from now. And it's my job to make sure that that goes in the right direction. And that's really, in my opinion, all you can do. Yeah. Even if it's somebody who's in dire circumstances, what is the right direction for somebody in dire circumstances? Well, it's interesting uh, brought it up. It's uh, what's the plan of care? You're at the therapist. You know that. It's, it's a, for example, the patient's uh, family is, uh, uh, the family wants to know that it's important to recovery to that point. Um, it's important for planning. It's important for, I mean, it's somebody they love. I mean, they want to know. I mean, I don't think it's an unfair question. There's just no real great answer. Did you get any terrible answers, do you think, at the hospital? Do you feel like you ever asked a question and got a terrible answer? I think it was more that I didn't know what questions to ask. Um, so there wasn't a lot of support there because if you don't ask the question, you don't get an answer. So there was no information provided at all. Like when my husband left the hospital, I didn't know that he could even make a sound. I had no idea that he could talk however that came out, which wasn't great at first, but he could give yes and no answers. I didn't know that. The speech therapists knew that from the chart, but that was never communicated to me. So, yeah, as a family member, you don't get answers that you don't ask the questions for. But where do you start with that? Man, that's a great insight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think for families who are listening to this, um, you know, what questions do you ask? And maybe the when are they going to get all better is not the best question, but what should, where should we target or what should we target in the next six months, mm-hmm. you know, is a better question. Um, but right, sometimes... You just don't even know what to ask. It's just all so overwhelming. One scary question that gets asked by families um, for someone who's brand new is, have you seen someone like this before? And what's, Mm. you know, and they do say that. Have you seen, you know, like my husband looks like this. Have you seen other people who look like this? Well, it's a little tough when you're brand new at it. After many, many years, yes, I've seen that. But um, that's a tricky question to answer when you're a brand new clinician. Well, it's interesting. I it's I hate that question because all different strokes are different folks. Yes, everyone. It doesn't matter if I had a stroke or TBI or, but. You are saying 
you are saying this guy is a totally different yeah obviously but are you saying the that there are going to be some similarities exactly and that's it and i think they will say listen i've seen similar thing doesn't mean it's exactly but it's a characteristic of a stroke or tbi or what or based on my experience right well thank goodness there are some similarities right because then you say oh yeah i worked through this once before and this is this is what worked best I see some similarities. Now I can apply that here. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, and I think everyone is different, but this is where you and I have butted heads before. I think that there are similarities in types of aphasia or um, strategies that work. And so, yeah, I think as a clinician... It's my job to kind of look at a person and take into account what's different or intricacies about them. But yes, these are the these are the best practices. This is what we know works best. So, you know, I do think you have to give families some ballparks. Um, and I do think that's an it's an assumption. It's a it's a prognosis. It's a best guess based on my experience but my experience is not Darlene's experience so she's had 20 more years of experience but you know okay I don't know what's the same about Darlene say what what's the same experience wise what's the same um do you think she and I would come to the same prognosis is that what you're saying yes I don't know I'll let her answer that about a particular individual? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if we both met someone for the first time is that and had well, to make a decision. Brielle. Well, yeah, Brielle. All because, three of us? Well, yeah. I want her to answer and then <laughs> all the way to <laughs> Because... He, That's not fair. <laughs> Brielle's a student intern. <laughs> um, if she came to the same prognosis, hooray for you. But I would bet... The um right down the line, Melissa and I would end up with very similar thoughts. Hmm. I know that bumps you out, doesn't it, Ashley? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I mean, it's it's a it's a good thing, Ashley. Absolutely, it means we You're know what we're doing <laughs> together, Most by time. side. It's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> but it's uh, my question is, I thought more experiences but it's obviously you're jaded (laughs) (laughs) i don't i don't and it's jaded which comes off as negative but what if i said realistic or pragmatic realistic oh it's ashley are you equating experience at at predicting outcomes with being jaded? Um, yes. Uh, it's a, 
the judgment call it's the the case studies of that based on the past history that's why i would say we go back to chris's thought of what do you do when you first meet someone yeah you you say i don't know where this is ending up all i know is and you might know in your head what you think might happen um but mm-hmm. i'll go with melissa inside my head i'm saying this is going to be tough i hope you prove me wrong but the bottom line is to communicate basically right there's no stop sign on the road to recovery we're just going to go down this together and i'm not quite i don't have a hundred percent knowledge of where this road's going to take us well obviously you're stuck it's a in your mind it's hard to it's the verbally the hope is the key and now it's I applaud you you guys and it's hard to well I'm I'm hearing and I think it's very true it's a balancing act Mm -hmm. between knowledge of what your clinical expertise tells you there might be and your role as a motivator and facilitator to, as Melissa said, prove me wrong. The odds are the textbook would say this, but let's not worry about what the textbook says. Let's worry about this piece and just push the envelope as far as we can. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, And good, good clinicians do that. But Not every clinician out there is a good one, an expert one, an experienced one. But so what that is a, a long time. But what say you, what do you think about the diagnosis and what is your book say you know like you're brand new I mean not new but but so the textbook as a new person gives me somewhere to start all the case studies all the classes all the internship experience that gives me somewhere to start but I don't have the personal experience to have developed an instinct I can have some kind of judgment based on what I've read what I think is going to happen but I have no actual like I've seen this I've seen 20 people that have this feature and the two that have this other similarity in common you know you can get into some kind of crazy Venn diagram of overlapping (laughs) features but I don't have that internalized in me yet so for me it's I have a starting point from the textbook I'm going to ask them I'm going to ask Melissa I'm going to ask Darlene what 
for your input. So even a brand new clinician is going to have some judgment behind what they're going to do because it would be irresponsible of me knowing that I don't know to just go in there and push forward. But I don't have an expectation for the outcome. And for me personally, I've seen the best of outcomes. So that's kind of where my mind is going to go. Like I'm going to assume I might only see you for the first three months, six months or something, but I've seen my husband. I've seen all you guys that are years post whatever event. And I've seen where you guys are. So that's now my frame of thought for long term. So whether I see you, you know, acute right after it happened or a couple months or years or whatever, I have the frame of mind that this is a long, long, never-ending road. Uh So that's where I'm heading. Like, I I don't have the experience and the judgment, but that's my personal goal is just wherever I meet you on the road just to push you further down. Can I say one thing that I think is important, and that is we have the luxury here of seeing people long Mm -hmm. after their event. When you're a clinician in an acute hospital, you see somebody for three to five days and they're gone. And sadly, most of the time you never know where they ended up. Rehab, you get a little bit clearer picture. But we're the anomaly here. Mm -hmm. We get to see where people really do end up. And so it's a little unfair to look at the whole field of rehab or specifically speech. And um, when we're, um, we're so unique in being able to follow people mm-hmm. over the long haul, without being able to come here, where would you be? Where would you be? Where would you be? Absolutely. And Thanks that's, you. Um, that's the view that most professionals get. That, And I would agree with that, that my, my idea of stroke recovery changed from my experience here and from your stories. So I think that's one of the things about this podcast. You know, we talk about building a bridge to other survivors, but if we can also build a bridge to other clinicians that are out there or other families who go, oh, well, I was sort of buying into that six-month, one-year business, but listen to these people. They're telling me I can keep going. So I think that's part of the value of this. Um, Even though we are our own little world out here, um, to say, hey, we're here to say don't buy in. You know, keep going, and you can do it. I do think experience changes that and being able to see something different. Um, And I think we also provide an education to physicians in the area and other clinicians who come out here and see our members and go, whoa, (laughs) look at that. Um, One of the things I said to Brielle, and I said, you know you're in finance. That's very black and white. That's numbers. (laughs) You know this, right? You know there's Mm -hmm. nothing about speech pathology that's black and white. There There are no definite answers. There's like five ways at least to do something. So 
Um, and because they're humans involved, not <laughs> papers. Exactly, yeah. right. And then they do all sorts of weird stuff. <laughs> um, so I think we are out of time, so we're going to wrap it up. But it doesn't mean we cannot continue this discussion at another time. But, Joyce, in honor of you being back, I think you should wrap us up today. Oh, yeah. On <laughs> the Roll Do Better. Perfect. Yeah. See you. Our lawyers made us say this. Disclaimers. What about disclaimers? Your opinion, the group opinion, is not valid. Well, it is, but it's valid. But I'm having a disclaimer so that we don't get in trouble. Yes. Doctors. Doctors. Who's doctor? There's. Um. They. They. Their doctor. Yes. All right, so if people hear something on this podcast, you should ask your doctor. Doctor. Amen.